Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And uh, that's why Chris isn't here today. He's uh, helping out his kids, looking after his wife, Jackie, today. So uh, best wishes to her. And uh, joining me to go through all the latest action, both midweek and this weekend, it is Rob Oral. Hi, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. And also joining us, it is the books writer himself. It is Dickie Wharton. Hi, Dickie. Hi Luke, hi Rob. Um, just, I, I am going to see my mother later on. I, she's not been missed out of the equation. Just <laughs> I rang mine earlier. So good to see you got your priorities right, Dicky. Anyway, and like you're doing the pod first, and like your mother can wait till after. So midweek, it was a, a big midweek, especially for Sutton. It was between Sutton and Hartlepool. They were neck and neck, as well as Torquay, who were in the third position, but Torquay didn't play. So it was between Hartlepool and Sutton who went top. Sutton kicked off the earlier at 7pm on Tuesday evening. They took on Yeovil, who were looking to bounce back from the defeat at Chesterfield. And Isaac Olafe opened a scoring on 32 minutes, but they were pegged back by Ruben Reed, And he looked like they might suffer another frustrating home draw. But just like he did the Tuesday before, it was Harry Buterman who popped up with a vital winner eight minutes from time to send him top. And... We've uh, we've resurrected Tom for one week only. He was down at Sutton and he caught up with a match winner, Harry Buterman, after the game. I'm joined by Harry Buterman, uh, scorer of the winning goal for Sutton, which, as we record, may have put them clear at the top of the league. Uh, Harry, it looked a tough game out there today. Uh, Yeovil certainly came back strong in the second half. How much relief was it to get that winning goal? Yeah, first of all, it's a huge relief because it's a massive three points for us. Um, it's important at this stage of the season we keep the momentum going. We're on a great run of form at the moment. I believe that's six wins, one draw in our last seven. So it's important when we keep this momentum going. We knew it would be a tough game because before the weekend, I believe we as the most informed team in Yeovil was the second most informed team. So we knew it would be a tough game. We know what they're about. Um, they're a big club, especially at this level. But as we're delighted to get the three points and um, it's a big one for us. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, it was a late goal. Not as late as some of the ones you've got this season, though. Um, that's you up to nine for the league this season. Two seasons in a row, you've been scoring consistently at National League level. Do you set yourself targets? If I'm honest with you, yeah, I do set myself targets. I'm not going to sit here and lie, lie and say, no, I don't. Um, it's a weird one for me. It's a very strange number, but I always set myself um, 13 for some weird reason. I don't know why. The, fir- the fir- most important thing for me is trying to get double figures. But yeah, for some weird reason, I always say 13. I believe, I might be wrong here, you might have to check me, but I believe that would be, I believe that would be 1 in 3, 1 in 4. So I always set myself a try and get 1 in 3 or 1 in 4. So, um, so yeah, I do set myself a target, but um, the most important thing is the team's winning. I'd rather, I'd rather not score all season and we win every single game rather than have a good ratio and end up seventh. So the most important thing is the team winning, but whilst we're winning and I'm scoring, I'll, I'll take both. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that's really noticed about the way your team plays, yourself included, is that hard press from the front. And that's what led to the first goal today. Is that something that Matt Gray really instills in you? Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's what the gap is about. Um, and, and we've got the perfect squad to play like that. Um, there's been numerous times this season where you hear the team say they can't kick this up for the full 90, but we do. Week in, week out, we do. Don't get me wrong, we're going to have the, um, the one-off game every now and then. But, um, but yeah, we, um, it's all about high press, tempo, um, getting in the other team's face, not letting them settle. That's what we're all about. And um, at the moment, it's working for us. 
We've got big games coming up. We've had big games and um, at the moment we're rising to the challenge. Final question. From here, we can hear the dressing room. It's buzzing. The lads are jumping. Do you have that belief in the squad now that promotion is within your sights? Very cliche. We try not to think about it too much. Obviously, it's in the back of your mind a little bit, but we've just got a great, um, we've just got a great team spirit at the club. Um, so it, it hasn't been like that just this season. Even last season when... Um, we had a we had a bad start to the season, but we picked up really really well towards the end of the season. And even then, the dressing room was buzzing. We're we're a good bunch. We work hard for each other. So um, it's a great team spirit at the club, and it's a nice place to come in and train in every day. We uh, we all work hard for each other, and as I said, it's a great place to be. Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking time, Harry. My pleasure. Appreciate it. So Hartlepool would also, but they would leapfrog Sutton if they bettered the result down in South London as they travelled to Altingham. I attended that game and what an excellent game it was. Hartlepool dominated the opening exchanges but then suffered a blow when Lewis Cass was given a straight red card, which nobody really complained about on the field and it took everyone in the press box by surprise as well. But they did keep going. And it took the lead just after the half-hour mark when Reese Oates slid home across from the excellent Luke Molyneux. And to be fair to Hartlepool, they kept their attacking intent about him right until half-time with the last kick. In fact, Ryan Colcuff equalised. It was a horrible error by a player we all know well from England, C. Duty. Ben Killip, he just let it slip through him at his near post and Hartlepool were really disciplined second half and the feeling was, I think, amongst the Altrican press and certainly on the Altrican forum afterwards, if Hartlepool had kept 11 men on the pitch, they probably would have won the game. As it was, it finished a draw in which both sides really played well and uh, I caught up with Hartlepool manager Dave Challoner after the game. So Dave, obviously four points in two tough away games, you must be satisfied with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with the circumstances of, of tonight's game, um, in terms of going down to ten men so early and, and how, the, how the game panned out, but I think um, so we definitely have taken a, taken a point. The disappointment, I suppose, will come in the fact that you reflect and mm. we started the game unbelievably well and if we'd have kept 11 men on the, on the pitch, then... With how we started, I'd, I'd have been confident if we continued that we could have gone away with six points, which probably would have been perfect. Yeah, you started off like a house on fire, didn't you? Really came out of the box, and then there was a sending off. I mean, didn't seem to be much complaints really, but it just stopped you in your tracks of it, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one because again, we're obviously the other side of the pitch. I'm hoping that the, the cameras from that side. I don't know whether it is, but it'll give a clearer, a clearer view. Listen, I think Cass, well, I know Cass has, has slipped um, with his left foot, which has made him fall backwards and his right foot's come off the ground. And there's absolutely no malice in it mm. whatsoever. He possibly has, has caught him. Um, but if you look at, again, sending off, it's not violent conduct by any stretch because mm-hmm. he slipped. That ultimately carries a, a three-game ban, which there's no way that the challenge mm. is worthy of a three-game ban in anyone's, in anyone's book. I mean, you, you were still very bold, though, first half, even with the 10 men, and it, it was really impressive, wasn't it, the way you kept going, and then you got your goal. Yeah, we, listen, we, we wanted to try to. Uh, I think in normal circumstances, we potentially could have been a little bit more more positive, but we're in the fit, or in the, in the midst of a really, really tough one, mm. where we've played Saturday, Tuesday, mm. with the similar or same players for the past three or four weeks, and... Um, it's a big ask for them, but like I said, we got our goal. Unfortunately, we could, we couldn't we couldn't hang on. I think if we could hang on to half time, it maybe a different game. You showed a great resilience in the second half, then, didn't you? When you were more compact, yeah. Second half, we changed our shape a little bit and went to one that we were, I suppose, familiar with in terms of when we played away at, at Solial. Um, people have to go and do jobs. Yeah. Um, it's, we've got. We, listen, you would normally like 
round pegs in round holes. We didn't really have that because we didn't have the personnel uh, to be able to do that. So you ask people to go in and and and, and do the best, and they, like I said, they did that manfully um, and got themselves a, a really um, really deserved point. And finally, I was at the final when you lost there with file. Can you go one better this year? Hope so. <laughs> um, I think at the start of any season, this division to um, to have the opportunity to compete at the top end of the table, I'll never, never, ever no. take for granted. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a tough league, but we, we've got ourselves in the shake-up, and we want to try and stay in there for as long as possible and ask questions of of the teams that are up around us. And that was Dave Challen, and, and just a word as well for the referee who was uh, Mr. Martin Woods. A really, really uh, excellent game from him. It's good to see that no players were kind of dissenting towards him throughout the game which says what a good game that he had on Saturday on Saturday Sutton had a tough trip to Kings Lynn who were very obdurate as always but in the end it was Sutton who managed to get that 1-0 win away from home and it was Donovan Wilson a man who they've poached from Bath City who got the winner there and uh, joining us now will be a very happy Matt Gray, I imagine. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, no problem. Yeah, good. Look yourself, you all right? Yeah, yeah, great. Not as good as you, I imagine. It's been, uh, after that frustrating draw against Wrexham last week, it's been a good week for you, hasn't it? Yeah, probably a little bit disappointing. The BT cameras didn't see us in full flow last week, but uh, another good point against a difficult team. And no, we've been doing well at the moment, so hopefully long, uh, long may it continue. Me and Rob dug up some uh, quotes from his interview when you joined us earlier on in the season and you were saying like you were taking each game as it comes. Well, those games are now being ticked off, aren't they? And uh, are you getting a little bit excited yet? Um, I'm trying not to. I'm, I'm not going to lie. and I, I don't want to come on in and just say I'm taking a game at a time, but it's, it's very hard not to not to be like that. Why would you look any further than the next game? Um, the lads are in a great place at the moment, both physically with injuries and and obviously the form that we're on. So, you know, we're not even looking at Stockport on Saturday because we've got a really tough game at Chesterfield on Tuesday night. So we'll be back in tomorrow training and, and doing everything possible to try and keep the run going and get a result there. Yeah, we just heard from Harry Buterman and one of the things he said about your team this year is um, you keep going, you keep pressing teams for 90 minutes. He said, all right, some some games it won't work, but for the majority it hasn't. And it's shown you've scored so many late winners this year. I think with the recruitment, one thing I'm quite big on and we've got real energy and legs and we're a real fit team, even though we're not classed as a full-time, if you like, but just still hopefully managing the situation right in between games and trying to keep the players as fresh as possible. Um, and yes, we've had spells where we might come under pressure, but always towards the last 15 minutes of the game, we've always looked strong uh, and, and driving on and, and managed to get recently a few late winners, which, is, which has really helped us. Matt, you mentioned that uh, you didn't quite hit your tip-top form in front of the cameras a week or so ago against Wrexham. Um, and, 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 and in a way, one positive from that would be you, you, you're still sort of going a little bit unfancied, a little bit under the radar. One thing you can't do anymore, and you have to admit that, you know, you're now top of the league, you're four points clear at the minute from, 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 from chasing all the time. And it's a different scenario mentally, isn't it? You can't go under the radar now. Everyone is going to want to beat Sutton because you are top of the league and you're there to be shot at. Yeah, and I think we probably felt that a little bit with Wrexham. You know, such a, a big club and with the backing that they've got and they're, they're playing a little old Sutton, if you like, which they called, well, they said we're not called anymore before the game. But, uh, you know, they came and, and really respected us and made it really hard for us and sat in and really tried to make it hard for us to break them down. And, you know, it was a very good away performance for, for them, if you like. And 
I suppose we might find that a, a little bit more as the season's going on. But uh, what, what I feel we've got and what I like about our team is that we are pretty flexible in how we can play. And um, there's many ways to win a football match and, and different teams and formations and styles that you have to come, come across uh, throughout the season. I'd like to think we uh, can be quite adaptable to all of that. You um, talked earlier on in the season when you came on, uh, Matt, about the continuity from last season, the bulk of last season's squad, and you added three, four players of quality. You just added a little bit here and there, haven't you? Tell us about uh, the lad that uh, scored the winning goal for you yesterday, Donovan Wilson, who I think you got from Bath. Yeah, it's just um, using the situation that materialised with the National North and South uh, stopping. Um, So just... I felt with the situation that we we're in, I maybe needed just a, a little bit extra up there as well. The quality at the top end of the pitch is someone my sister Jason Goodliffe knew really well from uh, Ben, his son, who obviously plays for us. Uh, previously being at Wolves, Will Randall, Aaron Simpson, and another couple of our players have all played with Donovan. So we had three players who, who knew him really well. Um, he, he scored six in nine for Bath and, and had done really well this season. Um, dealing with Jerry Gill was was great at Bath, and I, I thank him for all his support on on wanting his his players. I know he let a midfield player go out to Dagenham as well, and wanted them to, to continue playing. Um, and it, it's, it's right and, and good for these young lads to to continue their season because it must be frustrating for anyone with future careers and not being able to continue and have to be cut short again. So he's allowed us to just to, to have Donovan until the end of the season and. Um, it was his first start. Look, looked a little bit rusty in spells yesterday, but his last game was Boxing Day. So, um, you know, he, he managed to still knows where the goal is and he, and he popped up just after half-time and got the goal for us. Yeah, and it puts these players in the shop window as well, doesn't it? If, if they can prove they can do it at a higher level, whether it's with yourself or another club in that, that division, then it's, it's good for them, isn't it? Exactly. And it worked for all parties, you know, cost-effective for us. Um, he's got a young player with, with huge potential, who they've got on contract for next season. So he's signed for them for another year. Um, so it, it keeps him ticking over, keeps him playing, keeps him in the shop window, as you say. Uh, so it works, it works for all parties and, um, and and hopefully he can do well for us for another two, three months, what we've got left. Matt, tell us a little bit about the game at Kings Lynn yesterday. I, I've got to wait till the very last game of the season to to go, well, I'm going to say to go back there. Um, it'll be the first time Aldershot have played there, but... Um, I've been there before to the walks and it would have been something a little bit different for you yesterday and perhaps not the easiest time to play Kingsland because they'll have found out they've been at the wrong end of the table, still looking over their shoulders a little bit, but they found out in the week that there will be no relegation and they had a free hit at the top of the league yesterday, didn't they? Exactly that. And it was such a dangerous game and and uh, one where I sort of pride myself and my assistant, as I mentioned, Jason Goodliffe, on the organisation and the preparation leading into every game. And 90% of the time, 95% of the time, we know pretty much how the opposition are going to play, their system, their style, their key threats, strengths, weaknesses, etc. Um, Kings Lynn, in their previous four games, have played four or five different starting formations, um, changed formations in every game uh, previously. So what they were exactly going to be yesterday, we didn't know before the game. We didn't know exactly how they were going to set up. They actually ended up in the 90 minutes playing three different systems. Um, they are an open, expansive team anyway, but especially with the pressure off, it made it even harder. Um, you know, I, you know, you talk about their furlough situation and missing a couple of players through injury and, and what they've got there, but still, I'd probably rather them be fit and having the pressure of battling to, to stay up 
um, rather than them just come in and, and, and playing with a carefree attitude uh, and a bit of a free spirit like they were yesterday. And for 10, 15 minutes, we found it really difficult to start the game just to get grips with to grips of their, their system, which is a new one again. Um, <laughs> from what we'd, what we'd seen in the previous three or four games. So um, it, it just took a little bit of time to get going, but a very slow, bobbly pitch, extremely windy like it was all over the country yesterday. Um, so, so it was a, a potential banana skin, definitely. Uh, and to keep a clean sheet, we always knew we'd get a chance uh, and we managed to get that in a, in a strong period for us after half time. We really came out quite strong second half and uh, and got the goal and, and, and reasonably comfortably saw it through. Yeah, Matt, I was um, going to ask you, you've got quite a, a run of away games coming up, I think, over the next probably six weeks or so now. And clearly your, your away record, you know, stands up to scrutiny against the best. But, um, you know, does that bring its own challenges with it? You know, being away from home quite so often. I, mean, I suppose the, the positive side of that is you end on quite a run of home games, I think. Yeah, we do. I think that yesterday was the start of uh, six out of seven away. Um, and then I think towards the end of the season, I think we got five out of eight at home on the last eight. Of the eight. So it swings in roundabouts like it does for every team. But we don't particularly worry about going away from home. It actually might suit us a little bit better. And especially around this time of the season, like Rob was saying, when you're getting teams looking at Sutton where we are in the league and maybe coming away from home and trying to nullify us where we've been so strong at home. All these teams we've got to go and play away from home have got to beat Sutton at home. You know, they've, they've got to come and put it on us. Chesterfield have got to try and come and beat us on Tuesday night. And that, that I think, will really help us and, and uh, play into our hands a little bit more and, and give us a little bit more time and space to hopefully uh, get our style and our, our patterns going and, and what we try and do. Uh, rather than a team coming to sit a little bit like Wrexham did behind the ball with 11 bodies and, and trying to maybe nick a set piece against us. So uh, it certainly doesn't concern me that we've got this run of away games. Um, and, you know, we, we look forward to every game just like we will be on Tuesday night. Even down to the teams probably about 15th in the table that people could still feel they're in the chance of the playoffs. I mean, with that being the situation, teams can't really afford to just come and, you know, shut up shop against you, can they? Because, you know, they'll want the points themselves. Exactly, exactly, and especially from their home games. So, um, yeah, 15th, 16th, I, I even probably wouldn't rule a Woking out. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they are, I think maybe 18th. Um, a really good guy and a, a top manager in Alan Dowson, and I think, you know, I'm not sure exactly eight, nine points they might be off the playoffs. The games in hands and the situation is a little bit irrelevant because of the amount of fixtures we've got in short space of time. You, you, you go and put three, four wins together, and get with eight to ten games to go, anybody will be thinking they can still get in those playoffs. Um, and I think it will make the, the season very, very competitive right to the end. That's probably a good time to mention that, that you didn't get the old curse of the manager of the month uh, award for February. Congratulations on that. And um, and also to Craig Eastman, who was the player of the month. And uh, his life in the old dog yet, isn't there? 30 years old, he's as fit and as hungry as ever. And he's been such a great leader, character. Uh, both on and off the pitch, his experience, his know-how, let alone how what a top quality player he is. He's he's been different class for me. He's, 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 we had our main two centre halves out for the, I'm guessing probably the first eight games of the season, um, and he slotted in there to play with with young Kobe Rowe, and the two of them were, were brilliant. Kobe unfortunately suffered a, a really bad injury at Yeovil away, and he's just coming back into training now, which is great. Um, but Eastie slotting in the centre half for the for early early stage of the season. Um, just absolutely cruised it but, but to get him back into his 
more accustomed central midfield position. Uh, as I said, he's led by example both on off the pitch and he thoroughly deserved the, the award in February. How's things um, behind the scenes at Sutton? Because you've got that same headache that you had a couple of seasons ago now building, haven't you? You've got to think ahead and consider the what might what might not happen for next season. And uh, we're two years down the road and I don't think the rules, the laws have changed, have they, about the uh, 3G pitches or 4G pitches? No, no, they haven't. And I don't think they're likely to. And there's no absolute, any signs of it, it going to change in, in the foreseeable future. Um it's probably a little bit of a benefit from where we are now to, for the club to be where they were in, in, in the 2017-18 season, I think it was. Uh, so three, four years ago. Uh, so they had to do the groundwork and, and look at options and, and, and what it was. So I think it's literally a case of just pulling it out of the top drawer and remind themselves of, of where they're at. Um, but like I've said to the chairman and the board, I'm the manager of the football club. That's not my. That's not my job to start worrying about pitches and what's going on and stadium restructure and anything else. Literally, with with the the unique season that we're in and the amount of games that we've got to play in a short space of time, to so literally wake up on a Sunday morning. I'm watching Chesterfield videos already uh, this morning and yeah. watching our game back. And all I can focus on is the here and now, the, the next game, the next training session. So. I'll leave them to worry about all the all the off the off the pitch things because that's what they're responsible for, and I'm res- responsible for the uh, running the team on the day to day, and that's all I keep doing. That's a great answer, Matt, and, and a very fair and ch- an honest one as well. Um, I'm fascinated to know. The, the, you never know what how a team's going to turn up in any given game. They could have been brilliant one day and not in the next, but. As a manager looking ahead to Tuesday, as you know, soon after that result yesterday. Was there a little bit of, oh God, when you saw that Chesterfield had been on a good run, lost 2-0 to Maidenhead? Because you see it so often at this level of football, it's all about how they bounce back. And now they're in that, they're going to be hungry to respond on Tuesday night. Might have you preferred to play them after they just won the second or third game on the trot? And I don't know, how do you look at it? I don't know, Rob, to be honest. I don't know what the right answer is in that. The, the, the previous week, I'm, I'm watching Chesterfield play Yeovil and they've beaten them 3-0. So now, are we getting a, a wounded Yeovil last Tuesday night? We might well have done because that I thought for the early stages of the second half, they really put us under pressure. Um, but we managed to see that through and, and get the result there. Chesterfield, do you want to play them when they're 1-3 or 4 on the bounce again and they're full of confidence? Or do you want them to maybe trying to tweak a few things and they're not happy with what's gone on on Saturday and maybe trying to capitalise back on that. You never know, Robin. Maybe I'll tell you at 9.30 on Tuesday night, eh? Real. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Matt, best of luck and uh, we're really excited uh, to see how it all pans out as the season goes on. But thanks for joining us. No, brilliant. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Over 5 million homes are at risk of flooding. Yet many people don't realise they're in danger. Even if you've never been flooded before, it can happen to you. Protect your family and home. Prepare, act, survive. Prepare a bag including medicines and insurance documents. Act by moving important items upstairs or as high as possible. Survive by listening to emergency services. 
Search what to do in a flood and sign up to flood warnings on gov.uk. It's a, it was a busy midweek in general. Further down the table, we had two managerial casualties. Solihull, they dispensed the services of Jimmy Shan. And uh, we got a tweet saying shambolic after they, after they lost 5-0 at home to Stockport County on Tuesday. And it was 4-0 at half time. They had Tyler Williams sent off after just 17 minutes. They made a double substitution, but then two goals from John Rooney, one a penalty and goals from Harry Cardwell and Tom Walker. And Jack Stratton on loan from Derby made it made it a humbling night in the West Midlands, and it left the Moors with one win in ten, and it didn't really lead them with any choice, really, did it? We raised questions last weekend if 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 perhaps Jimmy Shan's position might be under serious threat, and if the Solihull board were thinking along those lines, their minds will have been made up by that horrific uh, midweek five uh, nil defeat, and. Uh, it's it's weird. You mentioned Luke that they'd only won one in ten without checking the facts. I think you'll find that one nil was a brilliant three nil win at Aldershot, where not just myself, but the uh, Shots TV live presenter Mark Butler, who's who, who's the record goal scorer for Aldershot, he knows his football. We both felt it was the best performance against Aldershot we'd seen all season. So I'm a bit dumbfounded as to why they can't seem to produce it um, consistently or couldn't under Jimmy Shan. But for a club like Solihull, not necessarily on their size, but on their the backing and the and the remit and the expectations after a couple of seasons right up the top end, um, it obviously wasn't good enough. And uh, I know you're going to come on to talk about Barnett, but a, a certain other manager lost his job at the same time. Um, and it was within hours, wasn't it? And I think we all thought... Um, Surely uh, Tim Flowers is going to is going to pop back up at uh, uh, Solly Hall in time for Mother's Day. But um, Rob said, "I'm calling it now." Were his words, and uh... <laughs> yeah, calling it now. Flowers is going back to Solly Hall Moors, but uh, but he wasn't, was he? No, it was a uh, it was an old face, wasn't it? Dickie who's popped up in the dugout. Yeah, it's um, uh, a, a return to um, Solihull for, for Mark Yates. It's uh, we, we've spoken in the past few weeks about obviously the impact of, um, of of step two stopping and the fact that we've got players who've, who've joined step one clubs. I don't think any of us imagined that was going to apply to any managers. Um, and good, Mark Yates is actually at a step three club. He's manager of Stourbridge. Um, but he and his assistant Neil Howarth uh, spoke to uh, the owners at Stourbridge, and um, I've. I've read an interview with Mark Yates where he said he he does feel there is some some unfinished business. He 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 did really well to keep Solihull up a couple of seasons ago, and then took the Macclesfield job in the summer. Um, I think he looks back on that with a little bit of regret now with how that's gone. And and this is just an opportunity to go back. And I think he's he's fairly clear that this is it is just purely temporary. That it is just until uh, the summer, and that he's got a job at Solihull at uh, Solihull at Stourbridge, which he's very happy with. Um, but yeah, it's just to help out. But it, it, it certainly did take us all by surprise. You know, we were all, I think, guilty of putting two and two together, making five when we saw that Tim Flowers had departed Barnet. And uh, but no, it's not to be. It's, it's interesting, Mark Yates does say that though. Dickie says, "I've got a job to do at Stalbridge." But if it does go well at Solihull and he gets offered the job, surely he can't turn it down. Well, no, you know, I suppose he's he's in an, I guess, a no. Uh, he can't really lose in in some respects, you know, because he's got the job at Stourbridge to go back to, um, if you know, if if that's what he chooses, and if all he manages to, to do is just steady the ship without Solihull really sort of like improving dramatically. But if it does go well, then absolutely, you know, you'd think that that, that the ownership at Solihull would be um, keen to speak to him. Obviously, that would be a blow to Stourbridge if that happened, but. Um, 
uh, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? It presented the opportunity. It's really, really hard to see how Mark Yates could turn it down. Yeah, and as we've mentioned, there will be no flowers on Mother's Day, either at Barney or Solihull Moses. Tim Flowers lost his job on Wednesday as well. And, and as we mentioned, there were whispers he may well return to Dams and Park. But as it is, he hasn't got a job. And they lost 2-0 at home to Wrexham. And it's just not worked out from there, has it? But equally, I know they were discussing this on the BT Sport Highlights show last night. Has he had enough time, do you think? In the modern day game, he probably has had about as long as he was going to get. I think he was well backed initially um, by the board, by the chairman. He, he was able to bring in players that he wanted to, players from a high level, big strapping players. He's got the blueprint of, of what he'd done at Solihull. Um, yes, they were um, in a difficult position, but their position has actually only worsened since he uh, took over and they've become more adrift. So it's tough. Um, we also, just just to, for clarification, just if Tim, Tim was listening or someone that knows him, we say he lost his job. By all accounts, it was uh, by mutual consent. It was, uh, you know, both parties felt that they that they couldn't proceed the way they were. And I wonder if the part of the dynamic with this might be the no relegation scenario at step one as well. You know, in in a sense, Tim came in with Barnett struggling when relegation was still a threat, and you could probably see with the um, certainly in the likes of Liam Daly coming and he's the kind of player he, he would want you to sort of. He's a player you want in the trenches, to use that old cliche. Now that that is off the table, does that change things for Barnett? Does that give them the opportunity to, to maybe plan ahead for next season a little bit earlier? And, you know, if discussions were had around that and and it was, you know, felt that the direction that they were, um, you know, given the opportunity to plan, that they could actually choose a different direction now, then and then maybe that's why the decision was arrived at. That's a brilliant point, Dickie. I, I, I really respect that I hadn't seen it like that I hadn't thought about it like that but it's a really really good point you know if it was clear that Flowers for whatever reason probably wasn't going to be around next season if his remit was just to keep Barnett up then the decision made this week uh, meant that Barnett will stay up so um, both parties free to consider their options for next season yeah well we're going to look at Saturday's action we might as well look at how Solihull and Barnett both fared one team fared better than the other, it's fair to say. I'm going to start with Solihull because I don't know if you saw the, the game, the highlights against Halifax. They, they lost to a Martin Woods penalty, but I must say, Neil Byrne, it was it was a, a mad sort of 10 seconds. Neil Byrne produced one of the goal line clearances of the season, only for them for Cal Hudlin to produce one of the misses of the season. It was like one of me, it was like I was playing uh, there yesterday, but hence, I, I finish like that, hence why I talk about the National League playing it. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know even with the change of the helm it does seem a little bit maybe that the the the, the fortune that that Solihull have been enjoying has just continued there and I, i've read a, a quick bit of an interview um that jimmy chan's done in um today's non-league paper and essentially he, he bemoans a lot of uh, of ill fortune with players being injured also attributes some of it the, the way they play that and said that he's spoken to various people that said that Actually playing consistently um, with, with, and with a, a constant like rhythm to you know matches coming was would have benefited his side and obviously with the COVID um, you know interruptions and things like that he's he's put that down as a factor that didn't help. Um, I suppose it, you know to mitigate that you could say that's been the same for virtually every every team this season and you know not everybody's bemoaning their bad luck but um, yeah it didn't look as if it, it, it well it, it felt as if it carried on in, in a similar vein for Solihull yesterday. 
Yeah, and Barnet, they had an entertaining game down at Bromley. They were behind twice and they managed to come back and draw level. A, f- a fantastic finish by Michael Petrasso. They also had Jimmy Dunn sent off. Bromley had Kizzy sent off for um, last man foul. Uh, clear, it was well, it, it would have been more akin to the Six Nations at a rugby tackle in a penalty area, uh, last man. And uh, Neil Smith, curse of the podcast, he also was given his, his marching orders after arguing about a penalty that wasn't given. But really good point that for Barnett, wasn't it, really? Because especially against someone like Bromley, who don't give up leads that easily. Uh, fantastic point. And uh, it will have been, I don't know the incident involving Neil Smith, but it would have been a really, really frustrating day for Bromley. With all due respect to Barnet, if you're playing them right now, you're expecting to get the three points one way or another. Uh, and despite Cheek getting on the score sheet again and, 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 and Barnet having a player sent off, um, they were only able to take a point out of that one. And, and it, it um, epitomises a lot of what went on this weekend. Teams not quite being able to turn a point into three. Um, and this is probably the best time to mention this, that was the highest scoring game in the National League on Saturday. I think when there's been a a full or fairly full fixture list, 10 games, 11 games, I can't remember this season when only 17 goals were scored. Nine teams kept clean sheets out of 20 on Saturday. Um, And and this was the highest scoring game. Uh, So we have to award that probably the game of the day (laughs) to all red cards, sending off for the manager and, uh, Frustration all round for Bromley. And current England C manager Paul Fairclough is overseeing the next few fixtures at Barnet, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes there. Barnet also had to um, make a, a change in goal 16 minutes into the game as well because Scott Loach got injured and went off. And um, uh, Amen Azaz, I think his name is, came in and, and um, kept goal for the rest of the game. So, yeah, pretty eventful happenings yesterday. And he only conceded two a Michael Cheek penalty, so he'll, he'll be really, really pleased with his debut there. Um, so we'll look, obviously we've talked about Sutton and we've talked to Matt Gray in the chasing pack. You had Hartlepool and Torquay. And uh, <laughs> it's fair to say both games ended in nil-nil. Hartlepool again frustrated this time at home by a really sort of dogged and we've talked about in the, in the past easily. A really impressive performance from them. Another sending off though, another defensive sending off as well. Uh, Timmy Odessini saw red for Hartlepool for two yellow cards. And then Torquay went down to Bournemouth, the live game on BT Sport, much better than last week's nil-nil. Bournemouth uh, hit the post twice. Torquay also had a penalty saved. Asa Hall's penalty saved by Nathan Ash. Well, I thought it was a penalty, to be fair. Referee was in a really good position. Bournemouth thought they should have had a penalty in the first half as well. Difficult to tell, really. But in the end, they both cancelled each other out. And I think Luke Garrard was more disappointed because of the, the way they performed. Yeah, it was interesting, the post-match chat afterwards between Jeff Brazier and Luke Garrard, because uh, Brazier called Garrard on the fact that he fist-pumped the air uh, when the final whistle went, thinking that he was celebrating the point. But actually... I think it was the defiance, the fact that despite they, they felt unfortunate with the chances and hitting the woodwork, that they kept a Torquay side uh, out. Um, admittedly, a Torquay side that's not in the best of form, but they are still very, very dangerous. Um, I have an opinion on the penalties too, Luke, and I concur with you. Uh, a lot of talk in and around the game of them being quite similar and you know it should have both been penalties or both not. I completely disagree. Having seen the angle from behind the uh, the, the Torquay penalty, it's you look at the rest positioning, it. Rob. You look at the rest positioning, and like I, I yeah. can't believe people going, "Oh, it's harsh." It's not. No, it's not harsh at all. It's a blatant body check inside the area, 
and it's cynical as well. Uh, and, and, and that is a penalty. It was correctly given. The one at the other end, I can see why they compared it. It's a lot more subtle and there's an arm involved. And I think I could understand if the referee thought, well, his arms just whipped across the top of his shoulder, across his neck a little bit. But is that what's pushed him down like that? No, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> so I think credit to the referee and I haven't got his name in it's front da- of me. David I'm... Richardson, because Dave Richardson from the non paper tweeted about it. And... Ah, well, there you go. Well done, look, David. You look like Max Brannan. It's good to see he's found something to do after leaving EastEnders anyway. So Exactly right. Exactly right. But look, no VAR in the National League and it's down to the referee to give what he sees, thinks and feels at the time. And for my money, he got both penalty decisions right. And that, that was a key, like you say, that the, I said, well, as soon as it came across, I said penalty. And you look at the rest position, you stood on the D, like looking right at it as well. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can't see why there was any complaints. But again, frustration for Torquay. It was, um, they had a couple of good chances, but they're just misfiring at the minute, aren't they? Gary Johnson's tr- trying to say the right things, I think, both to, to his squad and to the, to the press. I think... What they do have to do really is they say, yeah, look, forget the amazing start we had. Here we are with 18, 19, whatever games to play. And we're in the title race. You know, they're in the hunt. Uh, they want a three, four, maybe five sides that have still got a realistic chance of the title. Um, and, and they've got to take it positively forward from there. Um, I think in a different sort of way, Luke Garrard's a bit frustrated at the moment because his side have now drawn five games out of six. He'll be pleased they've kept a couple of clean sheets, but... Despite the weapons they've got at their disposal going forward, they're not scoring as often as he'd like. They're not as ruthless as he would like. Um, and, and from a personal point of view, I hope that continues next Saturday. Wrexham, they're, in the, they're well in the playoff hunt now. And uh, we spoke about them last week, uh, are they dark horses? Well, they're certainly not. And it took them a while to break down a stubborn Weymouth, but in the end, they did get the goals through Theo, Theo Vassell and Jordan Ponticelli. And uh, important win that because we know, although Weymouth... You know, they haven't been on a consistent run. They don't get beaten, did he? They don't get beaten heavily either. No, they don't. And that's, uh, you know, it's another excellent um, win, win for Wrexham. The, the, the run that they're on at the moment, I've just got their last 10 games in front of me and there's only one defeat in those last 10. Um, so we, we mentioned there's four draws in there, but I think they're second in the, 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 the form table over the last 10 games. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but, you know, very quietly, very slowly, Wrexham have just, gone about their business and are just you know rising up and, and just seem to be hitting form at the right time um there's a lot of positivity around the club obviously as well as we know um they had another uh, big addition to their to their dare i say the backroom team um this week and they've appointed a new chief executive in fleur robinson who's been tempted to come across from her role at burton albion which i believe she's been in for 20, 25 years. She's the daughter of uh, Burton Albion uh, chairman Ben Robinson. Um, you know, so to break up that 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 father daughter uh, relationship, you know, she must see something there that she's really tempted by. I know they were really excited to get her over there because of the stuff she does in the community as well. So yeah, things looking hugely positive at Wrexham. Yeah, more more flirt on Mother's Day, eh? So uh... boom. <laughs> Good, good news, listeners. He's not here all week, but unfortunately, he's always here. For something. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. 
for now, yeah. So Stockport didn't play. They uh, they were due to play Dagenham and Redbridge, but there was a COVID outbreak in the Dagenham and Redbridge camp. So that game was called off, which meant Notts County had the opportunity to draw within two points of Stockport County, and they did. It's been a tough week, a tough couple of weeks for Notts County. They had a, a, a meeting between the players on Thursday uh, to thrash a few things out, and they went down to Wheelstone, and, and they really toughed it out. Mark Ellis, he signed on loan from Tranmere, got the winning goal there. Yeah, that was a good, solid win. Uh, that will calm the dissenters at Notts County. Ardley's come in for a bit of stick, hasn't he, over the last uh, week or two. Um, but that was a solid win, a thorough win. It, it, probably more thorough than it looks. They created 14 chances, Notts County, just a couple of off-target for uh, for the home side, Wilston. Um, and it's interesting, sort of smaller uh, or clubs that have just come up to this level, against much, much, much bigger clubs uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, Weymouth came out unstuck against Wrexham and Notts Ca- uh, and Wilston went down, unfortunately, to Notts County by the, the odd goal. Uh, but, yeah, from Notts County's point of view, those 1-0 away wins uh, are fantastic when you're pushing up the top end. You'll take it every single time, uh, as Matt was saying a little bit earlier. Hartlep- no. Sorry, uh- Sorry, I was going to. We mentioned um, mentioned Solihull losing at Halifax. Just a quick word on on Halifax. I mean, they've uh, they snuck up into the last playoff spot now. And I was saying the other week there was um, there was there was moaning and dissenting among the Halifax fans about Pete Wilde saying, um, "Oh well, he's maybe not doing as well uh, as he should be doing." Well, at the minute they're in the playoff places, and that's where they finished last year. And again, now that he's been given time, now that they've got a run of games, he's got. He's brought a few key players in and they've just they've crept up, haven't they, Halifax, into those playoff places now? Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them closely on Tuesday night when uh, the shots go to the Shea. They, their season splits into three quite nicely so far. A really, really good start right up there at the start. And then a little bit like Woking, dropping away, just getting to lower mid-table, starting to look over their shoulder and then uh, they've picked up again. Um, uh, six points uh, over the course of the last week has put them right back on track. Just on that point about, you know, you say about Halifax's form picking up, I wonder if, um, you be said about the Stockport game being off, but we are generally seeing fewer COVID postponements these days, which, you know, positive on two fronts, you know, because we, we don't want games called off, but, but obviously it's a signal that the COVID situation is improving. But I wonder if that just is helping teams find their rhythm a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I know Halifax had a major outbreak of it. And I know when they came back, they, they beat Weymouth and then he made loads of changes after and, and for the next game. And although they won it, a lot of fans were saying, well, why has he made so many changes? And Pete Wilde said, well, a lot of the players were still recovering from COVID. And like I say, touch wood, like we haven't had it. I mean, I know you've kind of had a dose of it, Dickie, but um, if you're an athlete, it must it's still hard to get going and getting back into that rhythm, isn't it? It probably takes a month or two maybe to, to fully get back up to speed again. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, uh, crikey, I mean, I wouldn't call myself an athlete, but <laughs> I know you weren't doing that. But, you know, I, generally speaking, I, I kind of look after myself, but it, it knocked me about. And, you know, uh, there's no reason or there's no, just because they're, you know, lads in their 20s, maybe early 30s, and that we perceive them to be fit. You know, it's the thing of don't underestimate how, how much it really can take out of you. I think it also depends. This is, re- we've talked so much about COVID, but 
some people exude, um, you know, they have it without showing symptoms. Um, and, and, and that's the other thing. If, if they've technically got it and they have to self-isolate, but they're not really suffering with any symptoms, then the recovery is going to be an awful lot quicker. So um, there's, you, we can't paint this all with one brush. We have the debate every time, don't we, whether a team's going to come back from a COVID, whether they're going to be a bit rusty or whether they might indeed be quite fresh because they haven't had competitive football for maybe 10 days or two weeks. Uh, and they're, they're absolutely uh, champing at the bit to go. I think we've seen in the FA Trophy, you know, we, we've spoken about um, Hornchurch. You know, they, they barely played any games other than FA Trophy games. I know they're sort of below National League level. But, you know, you would think you, you try and apply that same kind of logic to them that say, oh, they haven't played for ages. You know, they're going to be rusty. They've been absolutely up for it every time they've played, you know. And, 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 and that's ex- every situation is different. You, you just can't tell. Really good win for Maidenhead. They stopped the Chesterfield charge and a few Chesterfield fans, I think, were bemoaning the fact that maybe their playoff charge is over. Well, that remains to be seen. Nathan Blissett and Dan Sparks gave uh, Maidenhead the bit of electricity that they needed. Really good win for Alan Devonshire's side because at home they haven't been great. It tends to be the away farm that's been better this year. Yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opener. I think that might have been the surprise result of the day for me yesterday. You thought Chesterfield on the run that they're on would have gone there and had enough. But uh, you just can't ever expect to just turn up and beat uh, an Alan Devonshire team. He's, he's so full of now, and he gets what he he gets what he needs to out of that team every year. Um, you know, overall this season, they're doing absolutely fine, aren't they? And uh, they're not consistent. They're one of many, many teams this season that are not consistent, but uh, a terrific three points for, for Maidenhead yesterday. And uh, Yeovil, they've, uh, they've got up into 11th. We were talking about Darren Sal and the start to the season. Would he, would he last, you know, if they carried on going as they were? Well, they are on a decent run now, as I say, apart from that defeat at Chesterfield last Saturday. But they beat an informed Woking by two goals to one. Reese Murphy back on the score sheet. He got both goals, and despite a late... Max Kretschmar consolation uh, a good win there for Darren Sal's side yeah they're not too far off it now are they I think they they a little bit like Chesterfield really have, have really got it going through the middle part of the season and yeah every team every team in this league is going to lose the odd game so uh, you know coming back to the point you made about the Chesterfield fans you know they what they lost two in ten or something and and it's as good a time as any probably to mention that with the confirmation in the week, and I know we're going to cover that in a bit more detail later, but with the confirmation in the week that uh, there will be no relegation from, from step one, you're literally looking at now who can still compete for the title and who can still compete for the, uh, compete for the playoffs. And looking at the table as it is right now, I know we've got a couple more games or another game to cover, but um, I think everybody right down to Maidenhead in, uh, or right down to 15th place are actually can say they've got a genuine chance of making the playoffs. And uh, we've, we've, we've got quite a run into come, boys. That includes Aldershot, doesn't it, Rob, who won at home? I mean, I saw Altrincham and they were, they, they were decent against Hartlepool. They were, they were good. It was just that final third at times where it, where it let themselves down. And um, I'm sure you're expecting a tough game, but Aldershot eventually prevailed and uh, the candy man struck, didn't he? He did. He did. It was a tough game. It, 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 a little bit like you mentioned in the week, it felt to me, certainly in the first half uh, yesterday, that both sides were at it. Both sides were at it. Aldershot undoubtedly the better side in the first half. And another fine, fine goal from Joel Nubel, uh, Nuble, who's in, he's in the best form at the highest level he's played uh, in, his, in his career, which is fantastic. But Aldershot didn't capitalise again. 
Altrincham have the best second half record in the league and within two minutes of the start of the second half they'd rattled the crossbar with a header from Toby Malarkey and then uh, won themselves a penalty. One of those where Killian Columbia uh, swung his leg trying to volley the ball, clear it away. But just before he did so, uh, the uh, the Altrincham player nipped in front and, and got the contact, went down, absolutely right decision, a penalty. Altrincham were much better in the second half and I thought it would either stay a draw or they might nick it. But uh, no, the candy man can. Um, and with his freshly shorn haircut, he came on and a uh, nice setup from Columbia. And uh, a lovely, lovely finish from Chico Candy, who's ultimately now got the winning goal in both 2-1 victories over Altrincham this season for Aldershot. So as Rob mentioned, the proposed North and South division that was being put together has been, been fair to say, that's been quashed now. Any hopes of that is not going to go ahead. And uh, there was a lot of sort of chatter on, on Twitter and from Dorkin and Gloucester and York and people like that saying, well, the National League have handled this really badly. So we got in touch from archives and said, would you like to respond to this? So he said, in relation to the communication, I need to outline the difference between the announcement of this decision and that of, say, the results of the resolution, which are sent out to the clubs. This is a decision of the FA Alliance Committee under the direct control of the FA and not the National League. It was under embargo for release until the FA issued the decision, which is the correct course of action and one we fully respected. In respect to the actual decision itself, the result of the resolution was fully accepted by the Alliance Committee in terms of the possible sporting solution proposed by the 15 Step 2 clubs or indeed any other sporting di- solution which was debated fully by the Alliance Committee and as the announcement stated it was rejected in the interested integrity of the competition. The FA understanding the sensitivity of the decision have helpfully confirmed they will issue the full reasons for that decision in due course and I will honour the confidentiality of the committee discussion until those reasons are issued. Once the reasons are issued to the club I'll be more than happy to return to the show to comment further and answer, answer any questions that you may have and just quickly then, I mean, it's an important point to make, and I know you pointed it out, Dick. It's not the National League who've made the decision, is it? No, it isn't. Ultimately, it's gone to the, the, the FA's Alliance Committee. And I think if I'm being honest, we, we, we didn't necessarily speak about it um, openly on the podcast, but I think our, our gut feeling from um, when we had Mark Ives on the show, um, and again, he didn't give anything away, but I think our gut feeling was that the proposal ultimately wouldn't be successful, which which is how it's turned out. I know there's some some grumbles about it still. I know Steve King's in the non-league paper today saying he he doesn't feel that the, that the National League were particularly helpful and they didn't help them put together a proposal that might have been accepted. But you know, I don't know. It, you know, I guess that kind of thing is going to going to that kind of feeling might stay around for a little while. But ultimately, you know, we know the result now, and and everybody just has to look to next season. Dickie, you mentioned that article by Steve King. I thought it was really, really constructively written. Disappointed for sure, but in words that kind of make sense, I think Dawkin put out their statement. And whilst I completely, I completely empathise with just how frustrating it is, I think they literally let every single bit of frustration they got out in that statement. Uh, it, it was a very, very, very long rant. And I know... Mark White's a passionate man. He won't he won't hold back. But um, Steve King says that um, his big fear has been confirmed that uh, the proposal for alternative competition has been thrown out. And and as he stated a few weeks ago, he always felt a way would be found to keep step one going and step two would stop. In uh, my view, Steve King says uh, in the North and South clubs who wanted to play on haven't been guided properly. It's the National League's competition. They could have led on it because they did say they wanted a sporting outcome. 
options could have been given and the majority put forward rather than everything being put on the club's shoulders. When the clubs did come up with a proposal, it needed recommendations for what would or wouldn't get through. I knew all along it wouldn't get the green light because of the integrity of starting a new competition where a team on 20 points, um, with a team starting on 20 points, whereas perhaps they'd only got 12 from the regular season, putting a team six points from the playoffs so that they could come through and win promotion, even though they've been bottom of the league. That just doesn't have integrity in sport. So I knew three or four weeks ago it wouldn't get through. And that's where we needed help to get a sporting outcome. Yeah, it's, it's um, everyone's going to have the views on it. I mean, I think if you'd like to darken and Gloucester and Fylde, next year, just go for it. Go and smash it up. Get as many points as you can, as many goals as you can. Prove that you are the best and you deserve to go up. What also Steve has mentioned there as well on that on that issue of integrity um, is about the fact there's no relegation from step one this season um, and has called that into question. And, 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 and has mentioned the fact that, you know, that, essentially or in his view what it does is that allows some clubs closer to the bottom to just furlough players and save money and play the um you know the younger players there's a part of me that thinks that but i'm not sure they're necessarily doing that one just because there's nothing at stake i think in some instances clubs are doing that because that's about the long-term future of the club that's about not spending money you have to spend now if you don't have to whether that's an abuse of the furlough system we've spoken about many times here before but but i do think that's you know but everybody's going to have their own view on it and it does it's like i mentioned last a couple of weeks ago that the only fear now is is like you You've got teams at the bottom playing like youth teams and stuff. And if teams are going like playing, for example, Dover, I mean, you were going to mention about Dover, weren't you, Dickie? And, and the results, you worked out the results, didn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, we still don't know what, and, and people are still asking what's happening about the Dover situation. You know, I see, again, I see messages on social media. I think some of those are probably based on, you know, club allegiances because there are people calling for Dover to be relegated. Well, you know, I don't think anybody necessarily wants them to be relegated that's certainly not my feeling but it's an unresolved situation I'd heard one suggestion might be that they have the results expunged and then you have to look at that how impacts you know the the clubs that are playing on who've actually had games against them I think they played 15 matches Um, Dover had only won three of the 15 they played Um, and we kind of smile at this situation whereby it was quite smart by Notts County to lose to them on the first day of the season because it means if they have that result taken out they don't actually lose any points puts me in mind of a situation a few years ago in um, what well the equivalent of National League North when we had Fleetwood and Southport going for promotion Farsley Celtic um, went bust and um, had their results expunged. And because Southport had lost to Farsley Celtic, they didn't lose any points, whereas Fleetwood did. And I know Fleetwood were hugely unhappy with that decision, threatening legal action, you know, Andy Pilly in the same way that we're hearing some of the clubs talking about now. But ultimately, the, the decision that the FA and the National League had been made stood. So, yeah, that is it. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Rob, Dickie, thank you very much. And uh, Dickie, I'll let you get off and see your mother now. Oh, your pleasure. I will give you your regards. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Wharton, if you're listening. Yeah. Off chat, you're listening. <laughs> That's what you know. I don't, think, I don't think she knows how to access a podcast. Not even for me, but there we go. <laughs> oh, well, happy, happy Mother's Day to all mothers out there. And uh, uh, if you're Torquay fans listening in, we're well aware we've had the Hartlepool boss on 
audio this week and we've had Matt Gray join us. So uh, let's... Uh, we'll get Tom to speak to his best mate, Gary Johnson, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon we're as Tom... Mate, GJ, he calls him. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if we can sort something out um, and if we can get a talky point of view very, very soon. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on all good pod- podcasting platforms and we'll see you all very soon. Mm-hmm.